Let's jump in today. The Squamish Nation announced it plans to develop 350 acres of land stretching from the North Shore to Squamish to the Sunshine Coast. Now, the projects uh, have the potential to reshape not only uh, the Squamish Nation itself, but also the communities surrounding the developments as well. Uh, The Squamish Nation says the developments will include residential, commercial, and industrial developments as well. Now, the four specific properties they have mentioned include uh, property along Marine Drive near the Lionsgate Bridge and Park Royal Mall in West Vancouver. It includes Linwood Marina near the Ironworkers Memorial Bridge in North Vancouver as well. And another parcel of land sitting at the southern end of Squamish. And of course, another piece of land is in Gibson's Landing, about 3.8 kilometers south of the Langdale Ferry Terminal. Now, the Squamish Nation has previously announced the development of Sinoc, which will uh, comprise of 11 towers of up to seven, 57 stories on a 10-acre site on the south side of the Burrard Street Bridge. There's a lot to discuss after today's announcement. Joining me now is El Salem, Squamish Nation Council Chair. Welcome, El Salem. Hi. Good to hear your voice. Lots to talk about here. Uh, when it comes to these properties that were announced today in regards to your development, why this particular? Why has the council chosen this direction now? There's a number of um, opportunities that are are on the table for us, but also um, just really, I think, good governance around how we manage these assets, both from a community standpoint so that we are creating the long-term sort of infrastructure to support the growth of the community, things like schools, parks, clinics, elder centres, and more. Um, and then figuring out also what are the economic drivers that we can create that are then going to be able to pay for those amenities. And what we've experienced, especially since we first announced the Sanok development a number of years ago, is mm-hmm. it's increased the sort of um, attention and interest from third parties to come and work with us. And so over the last number of years, we've received a lot of sort of third party proposals from different companies who you know come to us and say we we would like to partner with you on the development of your lands and we have a proposal for you um and so it put us in a position where we're often being reactive we're not actually setting the vision for our lands we're not engaging our community on what they would like to see for those lands and then developing sort of a a land use strategy so this is a a one-year moratorium on receiving any sort of third-party proposals Mm -hmm. which will then allow for our staff to then explore what is the potential of these lands. Mm -hmm. Uh, So in in regards to this announcement, a big announcement for your community today and and, and neighboring communities as well. So what happens next? What's the next step after today's announcement? Do you start consulting internally in regards to how each bit of land, each property that you have will be developed? Is that consultation occurring with your community? Is that next? There's a number of steps that will come next. Um, one is uh, our economic uh, development company, which is the sort of arm's length company of the Squamish Nation government, um, is sort of going to be leading a lot of the work, working with uh, the nation as well. And they'll be engaging the services of a, of a, a firm uh, that can come in with the right expertise to help lead a lot of this sort of land use exploration. And then as we go through each of the sites, there'll be a number of studies that will have to be done on infrastructure needs or capacities, what is possible currently, what would need to be upgraded, where where is there alignment with other sort of priorities. You know, for example, uh, TransLink and the province have put a lot of funding into the exploration of rapid transit across Bread Inlet, mm-hmm. you know, rapid transit across Bread Inlet all the way to Park Royal, to Lonsdale Key, through to Second Arrows, would have a huge benefit for the North Shore just as it is. But we add in the land use planning the nation's doing and we can just sort of maximize some of these opportunities. So 
there's a exploration piece, there's sort of a site feasibility piece, and then eventually we'll get to a point where there's some concepts, and then we'll start engaging with the community on, um, you know, reaction thoughts, opportunities, and then eventually the public at, at large will start to be brought in to hear about um, some of the explorations that we're looking at. Of the 350 acres that uh, could potentially be developed, how much of that is on the North Shore? The, I would say the vast majority of it is on the North Shore. Um, there's only uh, the Sunshine Coast site, I think, is only about 30 acres, and the Squamish Valley sites are maybe 40 or so acres. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you're, you know, you're looking at 250 to 300 acres approximately that are primarily on the North Shore, mostly around uh, the Capilano River area and the Seymour River area. Mm-hmm. And it's, a, you know, and most of the Squamish nation's own population lives on the North Shore. But also, as we've seen um, through Canadian census data and other sources, the North Shore also hasn't been growing um, that much in terms of population and, and has a huge housing uh, shortage as well. So I think that there's a lot of alignment coming from some of these things, but most of our lands are um, within the North Shore area. Now, when I think about your property along Marine Drive near Lionsgate Bridge and the Park Royal Mall in West Vancouver, uh, it's a you know a huge strip of land uh, right on the water. Um uh, a huge potential there for residential development. Uh, would you want to do something like Sinoc to to maximize the space that you have and uh, the challenges of housing that continues to, to to remain for the Lower Mainland? And of, of course, wanting to get a good return for that development as well. Would you envision something like Sinoc, um, which is more towers, a greater density? Is that something you would uh, sort of look at in, in regards to residential, or is, or is there even a potential for some sort of commercial industrial there, or would you want to leverage the residential side more so in that area? Yeah, I would say that, you know, one of the the things that we're going to do over this uh, year is really take a lot of the lessons from what we learned through the development of Sanok, all the way from pre-development and now into construction. And when we first approached, you know, the Sanok development as an example, you know, we initially announced 3,000 units on 10 acres of land. And then about a year later, we came back out to the public and said, actually, we've done some more investigation into what we think is possible here. And we increased it to 6,000 units um, from 3,000. And that really came about as a conversation of, like, what is possible on this site? What is going to um, help us achieve a number of different values, like, around livability? You know, there's a limit to how much you can put on a piece of land because you have to think about all the infrastructure needs and the livability needs. What is the built form? What is the transportation? What is the infrastructure? What is the culture of this site? So I think that those things are all going to be part of um, the lens in which we explore some of these sites. Some might be high-dense uh, development and residential, and some might be more commercial or industrial. Um, there are some of the lands that we are exploring that are constrained in terms of what they can actually do and, and, and largely um, are better suited for industrial. So that's why we're going to explore that. Mm-hmm. But it's also, I think, positioning ourselves into the next century as we look at how, you know, BC's economy is changing, for example, and, and, and potentially moving away from a heavy reliance on natural resource uh, royalties and revenues and moving towards sort of the new economy and where that's going to go. And I think industrial lands are going to be a key uh, factor in that. Part of... What you're doing in any organization is obviously you have to develop uh, your land uh, and and build an economic base for your community. Um, that takes a specific amount of expertise, 
patience, consultation. You actually have to build a system and a process and, and, uh, and capacity within your own uh, local government to be able to take on a project this size. Uh, compared to 10 years ago to today, I'm going to assume um, just the governance side of your nation is completely different. Go ahead, speak to me a little bit about just internally how you've had to build all of yeah. this infrastructure, uh, and not just uh, physical, but people yeah. and capacity yeah. just to have this conversation today. You know, it's a really good point. And I think, you know, I, I, I'm very appreciative as an elected leader with my council of the work that previous elected leadership has done to, you know, set the stage that we're just carrying on that legacy. And there has been a lot of work over the last number of years to improve the good governance of the nation, to create, um, you know, implement best practices around governance so that we're upholding ourselves to the highest standards, that there is consistency in the transparency and accountability mechanisms, um, and that we're allowing not sort of political belief to drive business decisions but to allow the you know best analysis and the best policy and the best research to drive the land use decisions and and so we've built in systems to help protect ourselves and to protect the nation so that we are evaluating things through the right lenses and that we are letting um, the research and and the expertise guide our decision making and then I think um, further than that, we've also been able to build a lot of capacity. And so, like, you know, one of the things that the Squamish Nation is very proud of is over the last three years and previously, but more so the last three years, we've made huge investments into post-secondary education for our people. We pay for a living allowance, a monthly living allowance, tuition, and books and supplies for any of our, any of our people who apply to go to post-secondary. And we fund between 140 to 160 students every year in post-secondary that has then translated into our people coming back to work for our community in not just you know entry-level jobs at like flagging or you know mm-hmm. construction but also through the entire value chain all the way to the ceo of our economic development company to the executive vice president of real estate for that company um, throughout the, the sort of structure of our government so we see that investment ha- um, paying off now and then we're also bringing in, you know, the best and brightest to come and work for us. And so, like, on economic development and, and more so real estate, in the last year alone, we have um, increased our staff capacity on real estate development um, to over around, I think, it's seven or eight staff now, um, whereas a year ago, we only had one. So, you know, there's these types of changes that have come about that I think are, are a big reason why we're now ready to embark on some of these more ambitious projects. We are speaking to Hill Salem. He's the Squamish Nation Council Chair, and today the Squamish Nation announced they plan to develop 350 acres uh, of land, and as I said earlier, stretching from the North Shore to Squamish to the Sunshine Coast. Uh, probably the uh, most high-profile pieces of property would be uh, near Marine Drive, near the Lionsgate Bridge and Park Royal Mall in West Vancouver, and of course, Linwood Marina near the Ironworkers Memorial Bridge in North Vancouver. Uh, 350 acres in total. Uh, the rest is in Squamish and in Gibson's Landing, about uh, 3.8 kilometers south of the Langdale Ferry Terminal, but about two-thirds will be, if not a little bit more, will be uh, on the Sure. Now, Salem, you uh, touched on this a little bit in our, prior to the break, but uh, how important was it to, for you to just put a moratorium on new development right now for at least one year uh, before you move forward uh, as you work on these projects? 
What's really exciting, I think, for the Squamish Nation is that we're able to now see the value of our land recognized in real terms and that the the role that First Nations can play as a partner in sort of business uh, development is really, I think, being recognized. And what I mean by that is, you know, when we look at the opportunity to develop First Nations lands, we bring a level of certainty to partnerships, whether it's investment, whether it's financing um, or, or, or things like that, because we're going to be in it for the long haul. We're not going to go anywhere. We're not going to, um, you know, abandon these projects after a few years uh, or sell them off or any kind of thing like that. So what that also means is that there's a lot of interest. There's, a, there's not a lot of uh, land opportunities at this scale throughout the lower mainland. Um, and we, we already own the land. And um, we also, as we learned with Sanak, bring a lot of value in terms of the speed at which we're able to move on development, the, the pace at which we are able to rezone our lands relative to neighboring jurisdictions, and also um, the, the scale of density that we can, we can bring to the table. So all of those things create a mixture where we as a, an Indigenous government are bringing a lot of value to the conversation, which has inevitably um, created a, a response where there's a lot of industry uh, companies, um, other, other development companies, other um, uh, business people out there who want to partner with us. But we haven't had an opportunity to really step back and look at, one, what is the feasibility of some of our high-priority lands? Um, what is the ideal sort of development uh, for those lands? What are the sort of wish list items that our community wants um, for our community in terms of amenities? And then can we use some of the economic development to pay for those things? So all of those things have sort of been at play. And the moratorium came about as a recommendation from our staff to say, we want to put a, a pause on just receiving any of these third party proposals. We just want a chance to be able to develop our own vision, working with our community and our leadership to uh, examine these. And then that way we can come out of this with a clear vision of what we want, what we need and how we can, how we think we can do it. And then invite in, you know, industry partners and development partners to potentially come and partner with us on the development of some of those lands from a position of strength and from a position of clarity. And, you know, part of the response to that too is talking to some of our development partners is they're actually encouraging us and supporting us to do this because us coming to the table with a much clearer vision mm -hmm. means that we can move quickly on those things because then that's really apparent to both parties what the nation wants. El Salem, thank you so much for your time today. Look forward to having you in the studio soon so we can uh, get an update on Sinoc as well. Thanks so much. Thank you.